Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Athletic. He had a hook behind the goal to complete his pirate appearance. Dan Bardell here with you alongside George Ellick and Tim Spears. Tim, I'll come to you first. How are you? Very well, thanks, Dan. How are you? Lovely to see you. I'm very well, thank you as well. Tim, George, you okay after watching Odison Edouard in person in the week? Oh, what player. What finish. Yeah, I was, I was at the Oxford Crystal Palace game on Tuesday night and saw Edouard miss a couple of sitters in the first half and then a lovely little uh, one-on-one finish. John Jules oh, into corner. the penalty area. Some good locations. Confidence to win you some money, George. Mm. Right, let's start with the big question of the week. And this week it is, which Premier League side needs to do the most business in the transfer window? Who needs a big transfer window? Again, I'll come to you first, Tim. Don't both say Everton, by the way, as we are aware. They need to do business. And, and Leicester, stay away from Leicester as well, because we know they haven't bought anybody. Yeah, we'll, we'll take them as red. I would say it's going to be a big week for Chelsea either way. And watching their surprise capitulation against Leeds last week just kind of brought it home really how Tuchel's trying to reinvent their attack. And, you know, we're hearing of Aubameyang coming in potentially or Anthony Gordon, but outgoings as well. hudson Adoy, Pulisic, Ziyech as well. You know, he's he's really trying to transform that front line and, and, and they need it because it looks a bit ponderous against Leeds. So... Feels like a big week for Chelsea. Plus, for, I mean, you know, and then 80 million on for Fana as well, by the way. Mm. So, you know, the, the, there's a lot to be done at Chelsea. I'm interested to see what they're going to do. Proper Londoner you are now, Tim. Choosing <laughs> a London team. You've really changed. George? I was going to say Leicester, and then you just dumb me by yeah. saying I can't say them. Although they have to, I mean, they have to retain players and also find a way to be better because they've been uh, terrible so far. Um, I, uh, I'm i going to say Aston Villa, Dan. Um mm. I think, um, well, if you think about the um, the injury to Diego Carlos, uh, Courtney Hawes gone to, to Watford on loan this week, so they probably need a centre-back. I think it looks more and more likely um, that Cameron Archer might eventually actually leave on loan, um, so they probably need a third striker as well. So, uh, And then, you know, after the Ishmaelia Saar transfer fell through, uh, maybe a wide man as well. So um, n- not loads of business, but I think after Villa's very poor start to the season and, uh, yeah, the injury to Carlos, they've certainly got to bring at least one or two in. I'm going to say, I'm going to agree with what you're saying to an extent, but actually I think Villa are desperate for a number eight as well. So that's that's four players mm. that we've listed that Villa need there after <laughs> me saying all pre-season, really good summer. I'd be happy if we went into the season with this squad. Then the season starts and you feel the complete opposite. I'm going to go a bit Tim Spearsy of last year and say Wolves because they just, they just need a striker. They need a striker. They, they're a very nice football team until they get into the penalty box and it all falls down. And if they had a striker... You'd almost be certain that they'd, they'd guaranteed to finish around eighth. So, yeah, I'll go with Wolves. So, an eclectic selection of teams there that we've all gone for. So, those are the teams who need a big week. Now, let's look ahead to who will be looking for a big weekend. Mm-hmm. 
This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. We start then with Southampton v Manchester United, which is the Saturday lunchtime kickoff. And George, plenty has been said about Eric Ten Hag's team selection against Liverpool. What does he do this time round? Because it kind of feels as if it suited them being the underdog against Liverpool. But now we're back to that situation where Manchester United are the team that go to a game they're expected to win. And that's so far where they fell down this season. Yes and no. I mean, it definitely felt like, and listening to Ten Hag's interview before the game, we knew that he was picking a side to play against Liverpool. You know, he said we need to press out of a block. Uh, that's why he dropped Ronaldo. He said we need more agility in defence. That's why he dropped Maguire. So, and both things uh, were proven to be to be masterstrokes. You are right that, of course, this is back to Manchester United being favourites and being expected to to win or at least expected not to lose. But the way that Southampton play, I think, means they're able to do the same thing again. You know, if you are happy to to sit in and drop off Saints, that they'll have a lot of the ball. Uh, if you're happy to defend in a bit in a bit of a lower block, that that is fine, and they'll be able to spring them on the counter. So, it's not as if they are playing against a side who are themselves going to look to you know to sit off and not press. We know that Hassan Hootel's Saints do like to to press United, so I think the game plan doesn't have to change too much. And, and just given how bad the performances were in the first two games of the season and how much better they were on Monday night, I think it would be madness um, if if injuries enable Ten Hag to pick the same team I think it'd be madness not to stick uh, we know obviously Alanga went off at half time for Martial so that might be one change that we do see um, but I think the game plan uh, the execution of it was so good by that group of players um, I think you need to send a message to them to say all right well keep playing like that and, and, and you'll keep your shirt yeah, it's one thing having a game plan to play against Liverpool which obviously worked I mean teams do have game plans for specific games but he's going to need kind of a different one for Southampton, isn't, isn't he, Tim? You know, is that performance that they put in on Monday sustainable? I don't know. It felt like, I mean, it was the build-up was insane. Like, it was It's probably the biggest early season. Yeah. It certainly whipped up to be, you know, the biggest sort of early season game I can remember, really. It felt like there was so much on the line, which is just ludicrous. But Ten Hag and United tapped into that. They tapped into the atmosphere. They'd obviously had a, a really good week on the training ground, lots of home truths being shared, I can imagine, and all building up to this 8pm kickoff on Monday. And the noise was incredible and, and the pressing and the tactics worked perfectly. So this is the big test now. And they do it at Southampton on a, on a Saturday early afternoon. Um, depends what his tactical plan is in terms of changes. Um, can you keep leaving Ronaldo out the team? Is, is he now, is he just not featuring as part of this 11? Uh, that's that's not sustainable in my eyes. You know, he is, he's the biggest personality in playing that dressing room by a massive distance. So um, very interested to see what happens with him in the next week. Doesn't appear like there are any sort of immediate suitors for his services or rather anyone that can afford him and give him Champions League football. So um, I really liked some of the things he did. Rashford coming in off the left. I mean, the guy needs a big season, and I really liked the tweak he made at halftime. That goal was great. Good, really good finish actually, because he was opening his body to put it in the other corner mm. and then beat the keeper at the near post. Really impressed with that. I'm more excited about this game than the Liverpool game almost, but it certainly won't get the build up that Monday night did. <laughs> no, no, it's, it's going to be a good game this one. And talking of Ronaldo being a big personality, George, the club captain was also rotated to the bench. Let's say Harry Maguire. 
Is there any way back for him? I mean, we'll know he'll, we know he'll definitely be in the England squad, whatever happens when, when that's announced. But at Manchester United now, that partnership of Varane and Martinez, that looks a superior partnership to me. I absolutely cannot see a way back for him in the near future unless there's an injury to either of those two. Uh, I thought they were both superb for whatever reason, whether it was deliberate. Varane's demeanour on the pitch was completely different to anything we'd seen before where he seemed to to adopt the role of, of the leader at the back and, and both of them were, were, were fantastic. We're going to see them play that that back four, I think, going forward as well. So you know, it's, it's by no means the end for Harry Maguire as a Manchester United player and especially because of the amount of money they spent on him. I think there would be no club willing to pay anywhere near the kind of money it would take to get him out. But after so many poor performances where Maguire was... You know, whichever way you look at it, either culpable for mistakes or or a scapegoat for Manchester United fans to point their finger at and say um, he's not good enough for him to to be rested or or I mean I think he'll he'll just be dropped um, if he doesn't play on Saturday, and United to put in such a solid defensive display and, and a real battling display as well and it was it was just damning that Tenag said before the game that it was agility and communication when you're talking about your your centre back and your captain that is. A pretty hard thing to bounce back from uh, and and crucially the communication did seem to be much much better between the back line on on Monday so I would be surprised if we see Maguire start a Premier League game whilst whilst the two centre-backs are fit uh, anytime soon. Yeah Malasia was part of that back line as well Tim he looks a tenacious little player at left back I was very impressed with him Gary Neville was waxing lyrical about him in the commentary as well Manchester United transfer business has been heavily scrutinised but that looks like a nice little addition. Yeah absolutely I saw um Rio Ferdinand compare him to Patrice Evra, which is which is just about as, as good a compliment as you can pay. And nice to see some United recruitment working potentially for once. And with Casemiro coming in, maybe Anthony as well, you're actually looking like a a few smart, decent additions there, albeit at eye-watering prices, you know, for the latter two. Martin Dubravka as well, I see coming in. Yeah, as a backup goalkeeper. Slightly more left field, but yeah, certainly something that that they need you know we talk about big weeks for a lot of clubs it is crazy that lots of Premier League teams would have played five matches by the time the transfer window finishes which is just it's just crazy and I think that's why we are seeing some inconsistent starts from a lot of clubs teams that are a bit more settled you know Brighton would spring to mind as an example of of a club that are doing really well whereas United clearly need a couple more additions I'm surprised that they're not being linked with more progressive midfielders. I think they need two midfielders personally. And Casemiro, we know he's going to do a job in front of that back line, but it's progressing from midfield to attack where they're still lacking and they can't rely on having 29% possession at home like they did against Liverpool the other night. So, yeah, but good to see them finally getting a, a decent signing right by the look of it for, from, the, from the Dutch league. Yeah, let's look a little bit at Southampton now, George. They're a team, a funny team to judge. So far, because actually on the face of it, the last two games, they've recovered points from losing positions, so four points recovered from losing positions. But we're talking about big weeks for teams. Southampton squad, are they set, do you think? Because they're not really being linked with anyone. They've, they've had a different transfer policy this season in terms of they've looked like they've gone down the route of getting in younger, hungry players. That can often go one of, one of two ways. What have you made of them so far? Hard to say, really. We saw Aribo and, uh, and Mara come off the bench and change the game back against Leeds, which they drew to all uh, those two massively changing the fortunes there. They were both brought into the side for the game at, at Leicester. They go 1-0 down, uh, neither really making an impact. Che Adams comes back into the side and scores two goals. So it doesn't look like a particularly deep squad on paper, but in, in a very small sample size early on in the campaign, it's the, it's the substitutes that are making the difference. And I, I think it's a very brave stance to be taking this season. I, I think blooding youngsters and giving 
to recruit early game time is could have a massive reward at the end of it. You know, if they are to, to have a decent season, if they do stay up, which I think has got to be the aim for this campaign, then getting these guys who they spent decent money on minutes under their belt early will bear fruit in time, but it's just whether they have enough now. So it, you are right, it's a different strategy. I think they will possibly struggle here against the United side who, who I, as I say, I anticipate to be pretty deadly on the, on the counter-attack again. Um, but there have definitely been positive signs. And for Shea Adams, a player who came in from the EFL with a fair bit of expectation, there's no denying that he has some good qualities. He hasn't necessarily always been the, the most clinical finisher, uh, but the second goal last weekend showed what he is capable of. And, and that competition for places will will help them as well. You know, Adam Armstrong is another player who's, I think, flattered to deceive a little bit. But with the, the young squad they've got at the moment and the ability to chop and change between them, maybe we'll see improvements from those individuals. A couple of George's boys there raised in the AFL. Chai Adams feels like the kind of player team that actually, in the in, when Manchester United played these kind of games, he feels to me like the kind of player that's actually been the most dangerous attacking player on the pitch because Manchester United have, have struggled in the, in these games. And this is why I think it will be an acid test because if he ends up scoring a couple of goals off the back of this game, you'll think, oh, Manchester United are still in trouble. But if they see it out, keep Southampton quiet and that defence looks more solid again, it does show signs of turning a corner. Yeah, I don't think he's the answer to their consistent goal-scoring problems necessarily. You know, we haven't seen that in his career numbers. But the big thing for Southampton is keeping goals out. I mean, they shipped four at Spurs on the opening day. We see Hassel Hootle trying to tinker with the formation, tinker with the style. They look pretty vulnerable to counter-attacks, to be honest, and crosses as well. Jacob Tanswell at the Athletic did a really good sort of deep dive into their tactical issues in pre-season and the opening weeks of the season so far I mean George is absolutely right it is it is pretty brave what they're trying to do and they're clearly looking to the long term and clearly trusting that Harson Hook is going to be the man to take them forward over the medium term I guess and there are a lot of vulnerable managers this year and he would be one of them in, in my mind I do think we're going to get some early sackings to be honest so yeah interested to see what they can do against Man United but it is a bit of an acid test you know they beat a, a struggling and confident shy Leicester team last week but um, Southampton's Prospects for the season don't look great to me, as George said. They're just looking to stay up. You both plumping for Manchester United in this one? Yeah, I think so. I think after that performance level, you have to think that, well, there's no reason for them, I think, to regress massively. Um, and as I say, I, I think the the way this game will look should suit them as well, because they're not playing against a side who look to, to, to suffocate or, or, or look to, to just sit in. I think Southampton taking the game to them the way that we know they will and pressing them on the ball should mean that there's more space in behind to, to hurt them. I think Monday was a one-off. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, I think it'd be a draw. And I've got this one down as a Southampton win. So we'll, we'll see what happens. I like to be different, dare to be different. That's what you've got to do mm. sometimes. Let's look now at Liverpool v Bournemouth, which is a Saturday 3pm kickoff. The broadcasters kicking themselves that they've not got this one. Now, there was so much focus on Manchester United's crisis before the game, Tim. They're now ahead of Liverpool, who've had an awful start. Is there a point where you start to worry for Liverpool? Yeah, if, 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 if they don't beat Bournemouth at home on, on Saturday. <laughs> yeah, sens- sensible answer. <laughs> that's when you start to worry. <laughs> I, th- I think there are many sort of mitigating circumstances at the moment, primarily this this injury list, which is which is quite unusual for a, for a start to a campaign. But they've got a number of key players out, barely anyone on the bench really to bring off the other night to try and change the game. But it's midfield that's that's the issue. You know, We know that their, their stats with and without Thiago last season, I think the win percentage was several tens of percent higher with him in the team than without. The other night, I mean, Milner, I don't know what he was doing other than shouting at Virgil van Dijk. 
Henderson was was trying to do the job of sort of three players at times and not really playing to to his strengths. You know, he was trying to create, he was trying to cover for the for the fullbacks when they were bombing on as well. They're asking sort of too much of him really. And then Harvey Elliott made a decent start with some good touches, but again, sort of got swamped out of the game. So and Firmino, Firmino was playing at centre half for most of the time. He, he's coming so deep, it was ridiculous. Yeah. So they they've they've got a lot of problems and in terms of injuries, you know, those aren't going to cease quickly. But you still look at the 11 that they can put out and it's good enough to beat the vast majority of the teams in this league still, you know, even allowing for their injury problems. Fabinho's got to start on Saturday. I'm sure that he will if he's injury-free. And, yeah, this this is, well, as I said at the start, if they don't beat Bournemouth, then, then you are lurching towards a bit of a, an early season crisis. But, but I think they'll be OK. Just on what Tim's saying, I was pretty surprised during the second half of the game on Monday Jamie Carragher said on commentary, um, the surprising thing about this is that if Liverpool have all their players fit, it's, it's only the bench that's really impacted. I mean, that is totally wrong. The, the, the issues they've got in terms of personnel, you know, Joe Gomez wouldn't be starting at centre-back. I think it'd be a completely different midfield three and you wouldn't have Firmino playing as a false nine or basically as a centre midfielder. So they have big issues in terms of performance levels and there's no denying that they should be at a much higher level. But I do think there are a, a big factors at play here in terms of the players they've actually got and the players that they're playing that midfield three we saw as much as I love Harvey Elliott a midfield three of of, of Henderson Milner and Elliott is, is is just not really good enough to put in the level of or just to control a game the way they like to control it so yes things are, are heading towards a bit of a crisis point and any title aspirations Liverpool may still have are going to be reliant on going on a run now. But I do think when players come back, they will be a, a totally different beast. Yeah, I, yeah, do, do you know, sorry, I was just going to say that. Sure. I, I just completely agree that I saw a lot of people talking about lack of desire at, at Old Trafford on Monday and sort of Man United outfought them and were more intense and they wanted it more. I just completely disagree with that, really. You know, tactically, Man United got it spot on and Liverpool are really struggling with injuries. You know, sometimes you, you can't look much deeper than that. And can I, one point as well, because we're seeing a lot of this and it's one of my pet peeves, all these sprint stats where like, I understand that, that, that fans want their, their players to sprint. But if you look at the correlation between when a team is ahead or a team is behind and the amount that they sprint, it is massive. So it's not hugely surprising that Manchester United sprint stats were, were very, very low against Brentford when they were 4-0 down and playing against a team with 11 men behind the ball. It's also not surprising that their sprint stats were very high in a game where they were they were level for, for the majority of it and trying to play on the counter. It's it's massively dictated by game state and it's not as simple as just to say, you know, why are they why are they running around? You know, the, it, the correlation isn't necessarily as clear as just they're running loads and therefore they're playing better. I'll take your sprint stats and I'll see body language. I'm no body language expert, but the, <laughs> the body language of the Liverpool players looked quite strange to me on Monday. I think Trent... I thought Trent was so poor. Salah, Milner and Van Van, Van Dyke. But do you know what I mean? Just, just slumped, like shoulders down, walking walking around off the, off the ball, just just looking annoyed. Milner and Van Dyke having, having that row pretty much summed it up. Yeah. Just something doesn't feel right. But I just thought with, with Trent as well, and just to, you know, before it sounds like really donkey on, on Liverpool here, I'm a huge Trent fan. You know, he's one of my favourite players to watch in, in the Premier League. And, and I think when he's at it, there's it, it's, it's something pretty special. But his... Const- you know, if you look at his pass map from the game itself, the amount of times he lost the ball, and and you know, we know with Trent that he's not someone who's ever going to have a high passing accuracy because so often he's looking to play crosses in from from deep areas. But he wasn't even doing that. He was consistently getting on the ball and playing these kind of bizarre chip balls in field to Firmino, and he wasn't learning from those mistakes. And there was also a moment where 
I think when they were 2-1 down with about five minutes to go, Trent got on the ball after a long build-up play and just thrashed the ball over the bar from 25 yards. And as you say, the body language, he just walked off. There was no apologies. There was no like, yeah, that was a bad decision. It just looked almost surly. So yeah, I do think maybe there's just an element of of embarrassment. They thought they would turn up. You know, all the narrative was how many are they going to put past United and, and they had it served up to them and they just wanted to, to get, in the, get in the coach and get home. Yeah, no Darwin still for Liverpool, Tim, as well. You've got two more games to serve for his ban, but we've talked about for me now that they almost did miss having a focal point against Manchester United. Yeah, absolutely. And I think they really miss Jota as well. Uh, he doesn't really get spoken about as much. But in terms of direct running, that tenacity, going straight for goal, he's physical, he's up for the fight. You know, he's um, he's got an awful lot of attributes that, that Liverpool are sort of lacking in certain areas right now. Mm. Bournemouth got any chance George? I think we have to say that they do not necessarily because uh, they've started the season all that well but if Liverpool don't bounce back and as we've said there are issues with personnel if if Fabinho isn't fit to start again I think they are slightly wounded you know we think back to what Jurgen Klopp said last week about how he'd much rather play Manchester United after a 5-0 win than a 4-0 defeat. And I guess the same could be true here, where you're going to see, you could see Liverpool look to come out and, and right the wrongs of Monday. But there's no way you could rule you could rule Bournemouth out here because they, we know what they'll do. They'll look to frustrate and hope that they can they can nick one here or there. But it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be one of the more surprising uh, Premier League upsets given what we saw on Monday. The, the atmosphere will be interesting because you know Liverpool haven't really had a bad spell at home in front of fans for for many years. I mean they had that awful run uh, during the pandemic, but obviously there were no fans in at the time. You know Bournemouth will obviously look to set up and frustrate. They haven't laid a glove on Man City or Arsenal in the last two games. They've had two shots on target in total in those games. They're obviously going to pack the midfield. And try and look to frustrate. So if they can get to that half an hour mark or even half time, but it's still nil nil. You know how do the Anfield crowd sort of react? And yeah, we saw the bit of infighting as you say on Monday night. That atmosphere is going to be really interesting to see how it sort of plays out. So Liverpool wins for you both, but not comfortable. Given their confidence levels at the moment, it, it probably looks unlikely. But but I'm not sure Bournemouth have got what it takes to hold them off for 90 minutes or to score at the other end. To be honest. I think Liverpool will win, but I think they're one to ten with the bookies, and I, I certainly wouldn't be um, wouldn't be sticking them in my acre at that price. I'm going to go for comfy Liverpool win. I reckon Fabio Carvalho might start. I reckon he's going to inspire them to something. Sometimes you just need to throw in something different in these type of games. I think Carvalho might be that man. Quick look now at Arsenal v Fulham, which is the five thirty tea time game. George, nine from nine for Arsenal. Still not impressed. What a team! Oh, here we go. As you've always said. Well, I think we said last week, you know, going in and in the form that they're in and, and, and beating Bournemouth comfortably. I mean, they were yet again breathtaking going forward. The Gabriel Jesus run for the first goal was superb. I, I loved the um the Erdegaard finish for the second as well, taking off, off Jesus's toe and then and then a brilliant goal from Saliba as well. I mean, there are it's not often, you know, you've been able to say this in recent times, but Arsenal are, are just pure vibes FC at the moment. They are playing a, a brilliant brand of attacking football. The fans are over the moon. Every single individual is playing well and, and it's hard to be in any way negative. And, and you know, the, the fixture list has been unquestionably very, very kind to them. And there's no denying that, you know, going to Palace on opening day isn't an easy game. But when you consider they've got Fulham next, who started the season well, and then a, a struggling Villa side after this, it doesn't get much harder anytime soon either but that in itself can be really important because getting off to a good start you know if they were to to get 13 points from 15 or 15 points from 15 even then I think the performance level itself is, is risen because 
the, the club will start to believe players uh, will feel in any good space as well. So it's a 10 out of 10 season. I still think there will be a vulnerability when they come up against better teams. And I think Fulham have proven themselves this season to be a very, very dangerous attacking prospect. So um, we might see them having a few more questions after them than we've seen so far. Um, but I'm sure it'll be another entertaining game because they are, as I say, looking just so strong going forward. Yeah, new chant FC as well, the Arsenal fans. That away end was absolutely rocking on Saturday mm. last, last week. We'll gloss over my Mitrovic point that I made in the opening podcast where I said, don't fall into the trap of backing him, George, because he's been <laughs> sensational <laughs> since his return to the Premier League. That's looking as bad as your Odison Edouard tip at the moment. But Tim... Plenty of time for both yeah, of us. Yeah, That's plenty fine. of time. Tim, Fulham actually one of my favourite sides. So far this season, they've got Jao Paolini, who's been one of my favourite signings that anyone's made in the Premier League. But Fulham look a smart outfit in this league so far. Yeah, great addition. He's been a fantastic win, obviously, against Brentford last week. Mitrovic was at his third goal so far. I think, is that, is that, is that more than he got in the whole season last time? Or, or or maybe the same number? You certainly say he's going to coast towards double figures this season. And maybe even towards that 40 mark that we predicted a few weeks ago. They look more than capable to trouble a lot of teams at this level. You know, we've just spoken a bit about Bournemouth. They don't look equipped to do anything at this level, in my mind. They're not a Premier League team, whereas Fulham... Beat Villa 2-0, though, didn't they? Just tick a box where Villa away from home. Tick that box, they'll lose. <laughs> <laughs> but there we go. I saw their defensive capabilities as well at Molyneux a couple of weeks ago. They frustrated Wolves to a 0-0 draw. Didn't show much going forward at the other end, but... Um, Defended deep as a unit, showed they've got that other side to them. You know, they're not just going to be about trying to score goals. Scored three against Brentford, two against Liverpool. Mitrovic looks in good form. Pereira is a really good player. De- mm. Dequad Reed as well. I think he's going to have a better season than the last time he was in this league, as is Mitrovic. So, really excited about what they can do. I don't think they'll quite have enough to trouble Arsenal, certainly in the mood that Arsenal are in at the moment and, and the football that they're playing and the, and the vibe, as you say, that you're getting at the Emirates. But it should be a good game. It'll be one of the more watchable games of the weekend. Yeah, that um, they could have Justin Clivert joining their front front line soon mm. as well. They'll talk about getting him in on loan. So predictions for this one, George? Loads of goals. I I can see there being you know four or five at least. But I think Arsenal would probably get over the line. But I'm sure Fulham will cause them problems. Yeah, I think narrow two one to Arsenal. Tim, one nil Arsenal. One nil to the Arsenal. They're going to keep a clean sheet against Micho. Surely not. Saliba's got him and his new chant. Saliba's got him. He'll be hearing that <laughs> chant for 90 minutes and he's going to have Metro in his pocket. Those are the key Saturday fixtures to look out for. Next up, it's Sunday. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is a paid advertisement from BetterHelp Therapy Online. Do you ever get that feeling that you need to get something off your chest? We all carry around different stressors, big and small. And when we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe place to release and discuss those thoughts and feelings and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. And if you're thinking of starting therapy, why not give BetterHelp a try? It's entirely online and it's designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. All you need to do is fill out a brief questionnaire to match with a licensed therapist. And if things don't click, you can switch to someone new at any time with no additional charge. 
With over 1,000 therapists in the UK already, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. And because you listen to this podcast, you can get 10% off your first month of online therapy by heading to betterhelp.com slash athleticfootball. That's betterhel dot com slash athleticfootball with no spaces. This is the Athletic Football Podcast Preview Show. It's me, Dan Bardell, alongside George Ellick and Tim Spears. Tim, we turn our attention to your former patch now. It's Wolves v Newcastle, which is a tasty-looking 2pm Sunday kickoff. Wolves have looked superb against Spurs until they got anywhere near their box, as we've said previously. Never been more evident that a team needs needs a striker. Wolves fans really have wanted a striker for a few years now, haven't they? Yeah, certainly in terms of someone to compete with Raul Jimenez and... That's the massive question mark over Wolves for me. So we did see Raul Jimenez return to action in the week, scored in the Carabao Cup against Preston, but they've really missed him in in their opening games of the season, just as a focal point more than anything. Uh, They were so good against Spurs. I was so enthused by their performance. That midfield trio of Neves, Matinho and Nunes... Tyster. Obviously made in Portugal. Well the whole the whole team's made in Portugal. They had they had seven Portuguese players in the lineup the other day. They look good at the back. Collins has made a really good start. Nathan Collins, I thought I, I know he sort of let Harry slip Harry Kane slip for the goal, but other than that, he had the better of him. And him and Kilman look like a really good back two. Midfield, as I said, progressing through the lines brilliantly. It's just that final third. And that's been the issue with Wolves for more than two seasons now. So they are still banking with no additions at the, at the time of speaking, on Raul Jimenez to be that man. Now, we know that the Raul Jimenez of two seasons ago was more than good enough. He was one of the best all-round number nines in, in Europe. You know, he can do pretty much everything. So they're banking on him sort of returning to his former self. We've not seen signs of that on a consistent basis, but I really do hope he does score on Saturday purely for his new celebration, which I'm sure a lot of people would have missed in the week. He's got a new headband this year, which sort of looks like an eye patch when you bring it round to his eye. It's very thin. Sorry. Yeah, and then um, <laughs> he had a hook behind the goal to complete his pirate appearance. So yeah, hoping hoping we'd see a bit more of that this season. But yeah, Wolves Wolves look great. Everything but the finish. What a bizarre goal celebration. Is there any relevance to him being a pirate? Is it just to do with the headband looking like an eye patch? Purely. Like Pirates of the Caribbean? He, he, I don't know. He may do. Or Pirates of the Caribbean, as I saw a headline this week. Oh, lovely. <laughs> oh, that is dirty. That's good. That, that is filth, whoever came up with that. Tim, talking of Wolf strikers, what can you tell us about anyone they might be looking to bring in? They're being linked quite heavily with Sasha Kaladzic. Well said, Dan. Take 55. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, a, a lofty striker from the Bundesliga who's got a pretty decent record, 23 goals from 41 starts in the last three years. Bit of an injury issue last season. I think he might only played 15 times, but Wolves have been looking for a while for a tall striker as a sort of a plan B and an alternative to Jimenez. So they came really close to signing Kiefer Moore a year ago, which was came out of absolutely nowhere. You know, when when 90% of your first team business goes through George Mendes, you don't expect Kiefer Moore to be... Uh, not, a Men- not a Mendes client? <laughs> no, not as far as I'm aware. <laughs> not yet, anyway. Um, and McBurney as well was someone they had a look at. Again, sort of a very non-Wolsey signing. But Bruno Large has been looking for a while for someone to add height to that front line but also be able to hold the ball up and link play, you know, in the front three that Wolves like. So, yeah, as far as I know, they've, they've been in talks with him. They won't want to spend a lot of money on a striker because they've got Jimenez and they've got £35 million Fabio Silva 
out on loan at Anderlex who you know will come back and will will form part of this squad in the future. So ideally they'd have someone on loan for the season to kind of cover Silva's absence, but um, but it may be that they spend a bit of money. Um, but they certainly need to do that because yeah, goals as always are the issue with Wolves. Do true Wolves don't have a transfer budget that they just look at things on an individual basis? Is that true? Yeah, they kind of look at targets on a on a rolling on a rolling case by case basis in terms of whether they can add value in the future. You know, Fosun are very much an, an investment company, so they look to invest in youth that's got the potential to grow its value in the coming years. Jota being the prime example, who came in for thirteen and was sold two years later for forty five. Good policy, interesting. I'm not sure many clubs operate in that manner. George, on to Newcastle now. Arguably the performance of the season so far from anyone against Manchester City. I thought they were absolutely breathtaking at times going forward. Yeah, they were unbelievable. And I didn't think we'd be saying that 15 minutes into the game where they they mm. barely touched the ball. You know, City were just totally and utterly dominant. We're keeping Newcastle at arm's length, went ahead. And, and even after the goal for a time, looked like um, it was going to be the same. And then Newcastle just turned it on. When Alex Maxma is in that kind of form, it just makes you wonder why he can't do that consistently because it is, it is breathtaking to watch. Defenders, you can just see, are so scared of his direct running. And, and he's not someone, you know, Adama Traore is a player who can get you very excited when you're watching him run both on and off the ball. Whereas Sam Maxima, when he plays like this, has the quality on the ball that, that you don't often see from someone like Adama where he's he's he can pick a pass, he's, his delivery is decent, he can score goals. And if Newcastle can keep him in that kind of form, then they will be a very good attacking force against anybody because his presence on the pitch means that the opposition backline can't really step out. They have to leave a man back and they have to stand off him as well. So he was superb. They were brilliant. The way that they attacked the game, the way that they looked to, to get forward at any opportunity against City, and they, they didn't sit off and let City have it after that first 20 minutes was, I think, a, a new blueprint in how to play the City side because um, I think often when you see teams beating City, you know, we've seen Southampton doing it a couple of times recently where you, you score early and then you just drop off and, and pray. Um, I think Newcastle showed that you can take the game to a pep side. You can use your attacking attacking players, look to run at them and, and, and get on top of them that way. City obviously came back from 3-1 behind and showed their quality to, to draw the game 3 all in what was probably a, a fair result. Kieran Trippier's free kick was just, again, an unbelievable one to add to his collection in recent years. Proper postage stamp. But it felt to me like this was Newcastle. You know, We know they've been very good under Eddie Howe so far. But on the kind of the biggest stage against the best team in, in the country, possibly in Europe, they went toe-to-toe with them and matched them. And I think that was them announcing themselves on the on the biggest stage. Yeah, it could be some maximum against Adama Traora at the weekend if they both got on a pitch at the same time. That could be quite a, an interesting watch. And Alexander Isaac is on his way as per David Ornstein and Chris Woff. Over on the Toesley Football Show with James Richardson, they've been discussing the Swedish striker and what he's going to bring to the tune. Newcastle have reacted to the twang of Callum Wilson's hamstring last weekend by making, or are about to make, not sure, a new club record signing. Who is it? Step forward, Sweden and Rail Sociedad striker Alexander Isak. £60 million worth of him. Carl, he's huge, and so is this move, and you're very excited. He is the archetype of the new, tall, skilled target man. Uh, Imagine a really tall Ollie Watkins, or a... Uh, a slightly stretched out Jamie Vardy, and then you can get Isaac there. So even though, well, it's one of the things, he's quite tall, but he's not great with his back towards goal, and his hold-up play isn't great. But in terms of pace, skill moves, running the channels, he's a player that better off playing next to a partner with a winger close to him. So the idea with him, with Alan San Maximan, or him playing next to Callum Wilson, very exciting. If he gets a couple of Gregs in him and thickens out a bit, he can be an absolute stud. 
I think he's a little bit on the scrawny side and may need a little work there uh, to, to, to play in the Premier League. Should also mention at this point that Chris Wuff and Mark Carey have been looking at what Isaac will bring as well. It looks like a really exciting signing for Newcastle. I enjoyed reading that this morning before I did this podcast. And that was, of course, Carl Anker on the Totally Football Show with James Richardson there for you. Score predictions then for this one, Wolves v Newcastle. George? Oh, it's tough. I think we'll, I think Newcastle will win um, by a single goal. I just Wolves, you know, I'm sure it'll be a very good watch again, but their attacking issues are, are pretty obvious until they get someone in. I think I'll go for 2-0 to Newcastle. Tim? Uh, it's it's always 1-1 against Newcastle and Wolves, so so that's what it'll be. <laughs> there we go then. The final game we're going to look at today is Nottingham Forest v Spurs. I actually think the city ground, George, is going to be a tough place for people to go this season. They're, they're bouncing. They've signed about 150 players. Brennan Johnson scored his first Premier League goal last weekend. Will that help him? It definitely will, yeah. I mean, he's a player that I'm very excited about. Um I think if you look at how the best championship talent has has progressed into the Premier League, normally they they take to it like a duck to water in recent seasons, and and I don't see any reason why he won't be the same. I guess the only the only thing he might have to do in time is is bulk up a bit. Um, he's playing now in well, yeah, as he did last season in a, in a front two in a bit of a a, a little and large uh, front two, um, but he does drift wide and and he has got an eye for goal. I, I don't think he's ever going to be the most prolific goal scorer, but he is someone who has every single attribute in terms of ball carrying, in terms of his quality in the box as well, to be the latest big star to, to come up from from the uh, from the championship. So yeah, I'm, I'm really excited to see him. I think the, the amount of options Forrest have got now means they're going to be, you know, they'll be a tough opposition for Spurs, as you say. Uh, they're being linked to two current Spurs players at the moment in Tanganga and, and Reguillon and a former one in, in Aurier as well so um, that's another interesting line ahead of this one to take their transfer tally up to 19, 20 and 21 if they get those three in but um, the city ground as you say is rocking back where they believe they should be I was at Wembley for the um, for the playoff final win and yeah those fans have been waiting a while to make some noise Spurs might as well say if they want Harry Winks whilst they're there at the moment someone they're trying <laughs> to offload now Tim we saw Morgan Gibbs-White almost kind of playing up top when he came on for his debut what is his best position and where does he fit in for Forrest? Because actually, I don't see a natural place for him. If you think if you think of their front three at the moment, I wouldn't have him down as starting in, in, in a front three, but they, I kind of feel like they have to play him because of the amount of money that's been spent on him. And I thought he looked good when he came on as well, driving with the ball. Yeah, he did, he did look good and, and he'll always he'll always make a good positive impact off the bench because that, that's the kind of player he is, really. He likes to take the game by the scruff of the neck. He likes to get his head up. He likes to be positive. He likes to run at players. You know, he's a real vibrant presence in in the final third of the pitch. I mean, he started out as a, as a midfielder, really, in the Wolves Academy, and an attack-minded midfielder. But he never played in central midfield in Wolves' first team. You know, it was always Neves and Matinho. He was never trusted in terms of his defensive capabilities. You know, to play in that in that. Do, sort do you of think he could play team. there? Is that just enough? I've never seen enough from him defensively to to, to okay. warrant that, really. But barely seen him play there in the last few years, like I said. So for Sheffield United, he was certainly his most effective on the, on the right, drifting inside. If you've got a good attacking right back or wing back or someone like Nico Williams, up, up, you know, to make those overlaps, then that could work pretty well. And I'm guessing, you know, if Steve Cooper's going to continue with two behind the one, if the one is Brennan Johnson or whoever, that's that's probably his best role. You know, he, he's a roamer. He he loves getting in those 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 pockets of space um, and making things happen. He's a very positive, vibrant, vibrant player. 
don't think still think he's worth forty two million, but um, but I think he'll I think he'll do well at Forest. Let's not get into this. Again. <laughs> I mean, the prices at the moment. It, it, yeah, you're gonna have to gauge everyone by how much Anthony Gordon's gonna cost I, when he I, moves. I think it's me. exactly. I think it's forty two million if if Gibbs White wins the Ballon d'Or by the sounds of things. But um, he's, do you know he's the hundredth yeah. most expensive player of yeah. all time? I did I another this podcast this morning really? and was told that news. Yeah, madness. Um, my personal opinion is that Gibbs White will start ahead of Lingard by the turn of the year. Yeah, I think it'll be him, Johnson, and, and, the, and the striker. On Lingard's wages, they've got to play him, surely. Yeah, but so, well, so, 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 somebody, somebody incredibly better, expensive is going to be left out, aren't they? That's true. Yeah. You do need options, though. You do need to be able to freshen it up. So, you know, in a lot of ways, maybe Forrest are going to, are going to end up doing quite well because they've got the, the option to refresh it. They've got that competition for places, which often drives more out of people. It'll be, be interesting. I'm, I'm finding Forrest a fascinating watch so far this season. And credit to Steve Cooper as well, because all these new players, yet they still look pretty good already early, early on in the season. Steve Cooper's going to be a hell of a manager. Tottenham then, Perisic with another assist, George. Already looks like he's going to be a clever signing for Spurs. Certainly some eyebrows raised about his um about the you know, the move to bring in someone of of his age, maybe on the wages that he'll he'll command. Um but his delivery is is so good and, and it's no surprise to see that Harry Kane has scored two headed goals this season, uh, thanks to Perisic's delivery. And it means that they've got so many different options. You know, we know that that Conte what he wants from his wing backs, um, but I love that you've now got different wing backs available to him as well whether it's you know Doherty or, or, or Royale on the right hand side whether it's um, Cessna or you know wh- whoever it is they're, they're kind of multifaceted talents um, and whoever he seems to play seems to step up to a different performance level as well so Perisic looks to be an astute signing who I think will keep Cessna out of the team for, for the majority of the time. Yeah, solid start from Spurs they've not looked massively dangerous in, in a lot of games but they're getting the job done so far and Harry Kane who usually can't be asked in August Tim and there's one more goal to break his Premier League August goal-scoring record of two. Well, if ever there was a sign of a Spurs title bid coming up, you know, if Harry, yeah, <laughs> Harry Kane's actually scoring in August, then that's it. Um, I mean, Perisic is the only one of their new signings to actually start a match so far. Yeah. So there's potentially a lot more to come from this Spurs team. You know, Basuma and Richarlison just off the bench so far and potentially more to come in, in, in the last week, although it seems more about outgoings for Spurs, but... They've started really well. I think they're fourth in the very early standings, seven points from from three. And and Wolves at home is a game that that they've lost. They've lost three of the last four at home to Wolves in the past. And Forest away again, a game that that that, that, that potentially have slipped up on in the in the past few years. So if they can go there and get a result, you know they're really starting to make some quietly make some statements about about their season ahead. I don't think people are really shouting about Spurs yet. The focus is more on Arsenal and and the problems at Man United and Liverpool, but Spurs just quietly going about their business, getting points on the board and we you know, see nothing but a good season ahead for them, definitely. Just bubbling away nicely Spurs. They're going to win this one, George? Yeah, I reckon they probably will. Even the, the Forest win against uh at home to, to West Ham was a bit fortuitous and I think we'll see uh, we'll see Spurs beat them. Yeah, I think it will actually end up being a comfortable win, but always a great atmosphere at the city ground. Tim? Yeah, a, a bit fortuitous is, is understating it. As the West Ham should have won about 5-1. <laughs> uh, I, I, I do think Spurs will have enough. It'd be a really good game, really good atmosphere, but Spurs will win 3-1. That's it for this week then. Enjoy the weekend's action. Thank you to Tim and George for your contributions, but most of all, thanks to you for listening. Don't forget that Mark Chapman is back on Monday with all the fallout from the weekend's action. And finally, you can head to The Athletic and subscribe for just a pound a month for the first six months. To take advantage of that offer, just go to theathletic.com slash football pod. Thanks ever so much for listening. We'll be back next week. The Athletic.